All right, we're going to get started. And this next section, um, in the morning we talked about what the church can do. And in this session now, in the afternoon, we want, want to talk about what the family can do. Because we've talked about the importance of having the church programs, but this whole idea of what can the families do together, we want to just um, approach that. But before I do that, I want to give you a, a few statistics that I think are very interesting and illuminating about this whole topic. Back in, I believe it was the early 2000s, I think it was 2006, George Barner wrote a book called Transforming Children into Spiritual Champions. And I just want to give you, even though the statistics are old, they're, they're also telling and we can all just pretty much extrapolate that things may, may be a little worse now than they were back then. But anyway, he is saying, the percentage of youth who have a regular dialogue with their mother on faith or life issues was 12%. The percentage of youth who have a regular dialogue with their father on faith and life issues was 5%. Uh, the percentage of youth who have experienced regular reading of the Bible and devotions in the home, 9%. The percentage of youth who have experienced a servanthood event with a parent as an action of faith was 12%. And he writes this, we discovered that in a typical week, fewer than 10% of parents who regularly attend church with their kids read the Bible together, pray together other than at mealtimes, or participate in an act of service as a family unit. Even fewer families one out of every 20 have any type of worship experience together with their kids other than while they are at church during a typical month. So those are fairly stark statistics. There are several factors working against the family and I think that we could all agree with these. First of all, parents feel, and I was just talking with a, a millennial couple at lunchtime today that just backed this up. They said they feel ill-equipped to know how to pray or read the Bible with their kids because when they were growing up that wasn't modeled for them and so they don't you know you, you so you just don't do it because you don't know what to do another big thing that we <coughs> talked about this morning was just the competition that we face with other activities which are winning the time war especially as every sacred space has been invaded by other outside activities a third um, factor that many of you may have experienced is just the drop-off mentality of some families. They drop their kids off at Sunday school, go out to brunch and see, you know, see you later. And then um, the, other, the last factor, which, which is sort of interesting, and I think it's truer and truer in a, a post-Christian post culture that we live in, and, and, and that was a lack of standing, that, the church, that people don't see the church as a place where they can receive help. Isn't that interesting? So, you know, people will be looking for help in other places. And that's why when we're talking about having family forms, for example, and trying to address some critical issues, that that's how the church becomes relevant to the broader community instead of just assuming, well, the church doesn't know anything about that. It's very parochial. And, and so they don't really even consider that as an option. Whereas in previous generations, someone might have said, well, maybe the pastor has a, some thoughts on this. So 
It says, if faith is simply about good teaching and proper behavior, then the church is a sufficient place for children and students to learn that. But if faith is that plus more, if it is understanding how to live out what we believe by the power of God's spirit, then the family with spiritually minded parents is the best place for that to happen. Um, Mark Holman also has this quote. He says, if we simply did a better job discipling our own children in our homes, not only would we end the decline of Christianity in America, but it would become the fastest growing religion. Sort of an interesting thought there. And Jim Burns says this, one of the purposes of the church is to mentor parents. The parents mentor their children and the legacy of faith continues to the next generation. So, Here's another thing that we, when, when I was talking this morning about true and, and the you standing for unstoppable. The children in your church need to know that they aren't the future of the church, but rather that their involvement matters right now. When kids feel empowered to be integrated into the life of the church, they will stay. If they feel only like spectators, they will eventually leave. And so I think those are some interesting quotes from some people right in the thick of family ministry. But I want to point us to a couple passages of scripture. Um, Becky referred to one earlier this morning. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 6 through 9. And this is what it says. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. And then in Psalm chapter 78, verses 1 through 7, it says this, My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. So, as Andy mentioned, it's, it's great that we have authors that convince us of, that, of the importance of family ministries, but we don't have to look any further than the Bible to realize that that is in fact so and that's God's plan for us. So, we're going to talk a little bit about, oh, I want to read you this one other thing. This is a, this is a pretty great quote. This was from um, Transforming Children into Spiritual Champions. And, He's talking about contradictions and implications related to some of the data that he presents in this book. He says this, even though only 5% of church parents have a, bibli a biblical worldview, two-thirds, you have to get this, 64% of all church, church parents think they are doing a good or an excellent job of helping their children to develop a worldview based on the Bible. Okay, even though only 5% have a biblical worldview, 64% think they're doing an excellent job of that. Okay, another thing. 
Although fewer than 10% of church households spend any time at all during a typical week either reading the Bible or engaging in substantive prayer as a family unit, about three out of every four or 72% church parents believe they are doing well when it comes to providing a regular regimen of spiritual experiences and instruction for their children. Okay? Only 10% are doing it, but 74% think they're doing a great job. Okay, despite the fact that fewer than 120th of church households ever worship God outside of a church service or have any type of regular Bible study or devotional time together during a typical week, and that almost two-thirds of the children of church families are not born again, three-fourths, 72% of those parents claim they are doing a stellar job of nurturing their children's relationship with God. But they don't have a relationship with Christ. So, this is why it's a contradiction. You cannot avoid shaking your head at these figures and wondering how we allow ourselves to set the bar so low. Keep in mind that if children are gleaning anything at all from their church experience, they will return to their home and watch to see if the principles and beliefs taught to them are consistent with and reinforced by the behavior of their primary spiritual, primary spiritual nurturers, their parents. So that just says a lot about the impact that the parents have on the life of their children. And even if they're getting everything that they're getting and all the wonderful things that you all as churches in the EPC present, they go home and who knows what's happened there. I'm going to just share with you really, really briefly just a personal story about that. When I was a child, a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, no. When I was a child, they gave out perfect attendance pins. I don't know, does anyone remember having perfect attendance pins? Okay, there's somebody as old as me. Okay, so anyway, in order to get a perfect attendance pin, you had to be at church every single Sunday in the year. No exceptions, no time off for vacation, nothing. You had to get, at my church, one of those babies, right? So we would go on vacation, this was awful. My parents would take us to the beach on vacation. And they would get in the car on Sunday morning with us and they would drive around looking for a church that had a Sunday school. And without a doubt, it was the Southern Baptist Church that had a Sunday So every, every vacation, I can tell you, we went to the Southern Baptist Church and we'd have to get a little card from the church that said that we had participated in Sunday school that morning. We had to take it back and give it to the Sunday school superintendent so that they could mark off on the attendance rolls that we had been there. So we could get our perfect attendance pin. You know how many of those babies I have? I have 12. <laughs> I went to church every week of basically every year of my life up until age 14, which is I guess when they stopped doing it because I don't have it anymore. But here's the thing. My parents were not believers. My parents never went to church. Never ever went to church. They would, they would not even drive us to church. They would send us out the door and tell us to walk to church. 
which we did for 12 years, every Sunday. When I got to about age 14, you would think that I would know all about the Bible and I would be a good believer. You know what? I didn't believe anything. I didn't believe it at all. I didn't believe in Jesus. I didn't believe in salvation. I believed that God was like a deistic God. That's what I believed. And the point is, is that you can bring them to church, but if their life experience, especially <coughs> the primary people in their life, have nothing to do with it, you end up with a big zero. And that's why it's so important for parents to be able to engage and live their faith. Because otherwise, kids like me just say, not really real anyway. So I just want to just give you that little story. So here, what are some things that we can do? One thing that I want to say about family ministries to, to try to convince people that this is, is so good is that it's not another program we're asking you to do. You don't have to be a spiritual uh, giant. You don't have to have gone to seminary. You don't have to you know, carve out yet time for one more thing in your busy lives. But it's, as Deuteronomy talks about it, it's talking about living out your faith within the daily rhythm of your life instead of making it another program that you have to do or another task to accomplish. So the first thing that I just listed are, and, and I know Becky's going to get into a little bit more of this, are just some basic everyday activities that you can do. Like number one, Going to church on Sundays with your kids is a really great idea. Worshiping with them is a really great idea. Participating with them in their own children's ministries programs at church and being an example in that way. All of those things are really good ways for you to model the faith for your child. I talked about the CDs that we did when children are um, first born. And from an early age, you know, what stations are you listening to on the radio? You know, how are you incorporating music into your life? Everybody listens to music, so, but you know, are, what kind of things are you listening to? Another um, really important way to share your faith with your kids is just by doing devotions. When my kids were little, we always had story time before bedtime, and they would go to their bookcase and they would pick out a few different books that they wanted to read and we'd sit on the bed together and it was really a wonderful time. And if you know anything about kids, you know like if, if they're like my kids, they would like to extend bedtime as long as possible, right? So you say, well, okay, we could extend that. We could read this book or we can do that. But then you can sort of be in the driver's seat to pick out those different things and we would always end with the Bible stories. And they were quite happy to engage in that activity because they were getting to stay up later and I was accomplishing the end that I wanted to accomplish with them. So just picking out some good books and reading with them is, is a great thing. The other thing that I think that we need to be on the lookout to, which I alluded to a little bit earlier, is the importance of parents being able to lead their child to Christ and being able to put that in words that your child understands. You know that if you are the primary spiritual influencer, guess what? You have the 
exercise the greatest influence on your child. And so to be able to explain the gospel in terms that they can understand and be able to pray with them is, is really a great privilege that the Lord may give to you. Um, another thing that is really good that um, we've talked about is not only the importance of Bible reading, but the importance of prayer. And one thing that um, different people have done different things. Some, I've seen some people who have made binders and they put together pictures of people that they're going to pray for and they pray through the, the binder and something like that. Another great thing to do with kids, that's, that's good for all of us actually, is they need to see that God is a doer. And so if we keep a prayer journal and talk about prayers and then how God has answered prayers, that just builds up our faith because we want to be able to point to the fact that God did intervene or work in a certain way to answer prayers. So that's a great thing to do. Another thing, I don't know if you've ever read John Trent's books on blessings, but just, you know, some curriculums also include that um, in their curriculum to just as your child is leaving for school or whatever that you, or going to bed at night, that you pray a blessing over your child. And that, that can be, a, again, a very a special warm and connecting time between you and your child. Um, and the last thing I put down is service projects. That sometimes that's just the greatest thing is just to roll up your sleeves and go out and do something um, for someone else as a family. One thing that like, at our church we do, we just finished this, we did, is a day that we call Compassion Day. And so we make, again, going back to the idea that children can worship God and be involved in service to him right then and there. You know, so we um, have all the kids bring different food items and so on, and then we make these lunches for a, a place called Light of Life Mission. And so the parents and the kids then come on a day, we make all the lunches, we drive them all down there, and it's something that, that the kids actually can do together with them. Another thing that we've done at our church that I think is really great, it's been good for my own family, is we do Operation Christmas Child. Do any of you do that? But that's a great thing to do because you, I would take my kids down to Target, I'd give them each a shopping cart and say, there you go, go shop. You know, here are some of the things. And then we would talk about the fact that, oh, this person's going to get a washcloth or a toothbrush for Christmas and, you know, and, and some of these different things. And it helps them in a, in a season of avarice to be able to think about giving to somebody else and to think about, you know, and I always would say this to them, you know, if you didn't do this, that would be the only Christmas presents this kid is going to get. And then this is it. And I think that that is a great teaching tool for our kids. And, but again, it, it gets them involved. It gives them something to do where they're making a difference. When they're sitting down and writing the letter to dear friend and, and hope you enjoy these gifts and so on and put your picture in there and see where the present goes. Those kinds of things you can engage that are very practical that they can do. I think that that makes a real impact in their, in their own lives. Then the other thing that I just want to mention is, is that I wrote this book. It's called It's Never Too Early. And I just want to tell you the genesis of this book. 
there was a, a man who is, is the um, chairman of the CCO, and, and probably all of you have heard about CCO, um, which is a college ministry. And he wrote a book a couple of years ago, and he um, called it, It's Not Too Late. And he was talking about reaching out to your high schools and college age student, young adult students, and just being able to say, it's not too late to um, parent your children and to love them and to be a primary spiritual influencer of your children. So he's also my swimming buddy. So last summer I was kidding with him and I said, you know, Dan, I'm gonna write a, a prequel to your book. It's gonna be called, It's Never Too Early. And so I was just taking that from, a, you know, the, from the other end of the spectrum and just say, what are some things that we can do proactively to engender spiritual growth and spiritual life within our children? So anyway, that's how that, that came about. So anyway, a lot of the ideas that we've been talking about this morning and this afternoon are in this book. So I'm not going to go through this because we're giving you each a copy for free. So there you go, yay! Okay, you come to, you've come to the right place, you get free gifts, I'm just telling you, isn't that awesome? You never know what we're gonna do. But, the, uh, but before I, um, I just need to wrap up here in a couple minutes, but before I do that, the other aspect of parenting is creating traditions. And so in the book, there's a whole lot of different traditions that um, we can celebrate, such as New Year's Day, Valentine's Day, Resurrection Day, school vacations, school events, um, harvest activities, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's Eve, birthdays, all kinds of different things. And so some of you might be sitting there saying, we don't have any traditions. I have a, a friend who is a, a Chinese woman, and she came to the US in her early 20s. Her parents were members of the Communist Party in China. And so she doesn't have any traditions of anything Christian because everything was just eliminated from their society. And so she was talking about that with me one day when we were around Christmas time and, and what you do and so on. And, and so I said, well, we, this would be a great opportunity for you to just start some traditions in your family. You don't have to have something already. You can start something within your nuclear family right now and just build for the future on that. And, and that's true of anyone. So, you know, you might already have a lot of family traditions or you might not have any, but sometimes, you know, when we're talking about doing some things for Advent and focusing on the reason for the season or we're focusing on Lent, we can be thinking about different traditions that we can build into that this is, that this is what my family does and this is how we celebrate the season and you can make those kinds of times special. It takes a little bit of intentionality to be able to do that. And sometimes people need a little help and that's where the church can come alongside families, especially and say, well, how about trying this Advent activity or let me put this in your hands and, and you give that a try and see how that works. And a lot of times that's all that people need to just get them moving in the right direction. And you know, it can pay spiritual benefits to them way into their adult life. So 
those are all in the book and I'm not going to go through everything because I don't want to um, go on too long. But the other thing I, I am going to pass out since we're passing out gifts, if that's okay right now. Becky, Laura as an adjunct and I are on a council of the EPC called the Next Gen Council. And we had been meeting for a couple of years and we'd go down to Orlando and we'd sit there and we'd um, talk about all these different things going on. And then finally, um, we got to the point where they said, we're either gonna dissolve this council or you're gonna do something. So he said, okay, well maybe we should do something. So we, we got a lot leaner and a lot meaner. No, not, not really. And, and we said, so we have three people on the Next Gen Council who are focusing on ministry to children, three people who are focusing on ministry to high school students, and three um, members who are focusing on college and young adult ministry. So what we're trying to do is figure out the best way to make connections with people across the denomination. <coughs> and one thing that we said about children is that we are delighted that you are all here, but we know the vast majority of people who are involved in children's and family ministries are not able to come to a, a denominational event such as this. And so we are really looking at trying to create some presbytery experience for, where we can go to where those people are and try to start building connections and some fellowships and some support groups among people right in their own area, right in their own presbytery. And we're going to... So this hour uh, really was devoted to or titled what the family can do. <clears throat> but as I thought through, um, because in our, as I was sharing earlier this morning about the classes, the seminars, the retreats, those sorts of things that we do when we speak directly to um, parents and to families, really we dig out and give them specific ideas. And since this is not really what this form is. We wanted to flesh out a little bit more um, about how to engage families in this important job, in job one, which is raising children who know, love, and serve the Lord. So we've already talked about this briefly. Um, if you did not, if you were not here this morning, please get the recording. Um, just kind of, I think, ties all together. Your church can engage parents in the most important thing simply by teaching parents and showing them from scripture that this is their job and it is of utmost importance. When we were doing the Q&A time, Laura touched upon this amongst her own millennial friends who already have children, that they're just not sure what to do and really uh, being able to teach them and start that and have those things available in our churches um, is the most basic uh, important thing to do. And then your church can en engage parents in the most important thing by offering resources in order for them to do job one. 
There are resources for discipling parents. Uh, you've just been given some stuff, you know, from Martha. We, she in her book, is it in her book? She has criteria for evaluating resources. Well, we put that in the folder as well, her criteria for evaluating resources. Because let's be honest, when you come across something, it's hard to know unless you read the entire thing if it's actually something of, of great value. Our desire as a ministry and something we will be working on this year is to create a resource page that includes um, gospel-centric books that are foundational in passing the faith to the next generation in the home. We gave you some already resources that, that we've been through, that we've vetted, that are a big part of our family ministry and what we do in training and teaching parents. Um, so use that resource and we will continue to work on a resource page on our website. There's no need to reinvent the wheel, um, but come alongside the parents in your church. Walk alongside the families in your church. Show them the beautiful way that God works through the generations. I know from personal experience how difficult it is to just walk into a Christian bookstore or go online and find a great resource. So as a parachurch ministry, as a ministry that desires to come alongside you all, to come alongside families, we feel called to be that place that provides resources that can be trusted, resources that are true to the word, resources that will help families grow closer to the Lord together. Today, our ministry has a resource that we're gifting you as well. Oh, how exciting. Another gift. <laughs> You've already met my dad and my daughter. Basically, the two of them work together, taking 20 years of research classes, seminars, retreats, and actually beyond 20 years because we took stuff from my dad's seminary days, uh, his dissertation work, his many years of experience as a pastor. They've taken everything from those resources and put it into this hands-on workbook for parents. This is a new book. We just finished it this year. I'm extremely excited to be able to share it with you today. My husband and I were the first to read it before it went to publication. We were wowed. We've been parents for over 25 years, yet this book moved us, reminded us of the important things, and it grew us. So it's a great resource for longtime parents, but at the same time, it's so foundational, easy to understand and follow. It's a great resource for new parents as well. It knocked my socks off. It's gospel, it's meaty, it's deep, it's beautiful. It's also real, authentic, and extremely practical. If you're a parent or a grandparent, read it. If you're married, read it with your spouse. Answer the questions that are in it. Try the application ideas it provides. Even if you're not a parent but considering being one in the future, read it. Our second daughter got married about four weeks ago. Grandpa was the pastor um, who, who married them and counseled them for weeks leading up to the wedding. He used some of the resources he's been using for years in marriage counseling, but knowing Hannah and Nate desire to be parents, he had them read this book together. I think it's a great resource to use in marriage counseling. This book is called Foundations for Parents. It unpacks God's design for families and convinces parents of that design and of his charge for them as primary disciplers. Then it arms them with practical ideas for how to do it. It can be used in a variety of ways. 
This is also how you can use other resources we've shared with you. Parents can simply read it together at home, putting the ideas into practice, teaching their children about Jesus. It can also serve as a semester-long Sunday school class or midweek class or parenting small group, and I highly recommend it be used in any one of those three ways. There are just 10 chapters, so it's perfect for that. Parents in any stage of parenthood come together once a week or once every two weeks, supporting each other in job one, encouraging each other as they go through the book together, sharing in the joys and in the struggles, rejoicing together, weeping together, reminding each other how important it is to intentionally point our children to Jesus, teaching them about who he is and what he has done. Laura was vital in making it extremely effective for millennials so that churches with young families can easily use it. But in that process of optimizing it for millennials, nothing was lost, which stuns me about what she is gifted to do. But nothing was lost. It is an outstanding resource for any family. I'd like to read an excerpt to give you an idea of how deep, how beautiful, and how practical this book is, making it a great tool to use in coming alongside parents. If you like to read along, I'm starting on page 30. The Covenant of Grace. <clears throat> we, see, we first see the covenant of grace at work in Genesis 15 when God came to Abraham, who was still known as Abram at the time. The Lord spoke to him, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord, God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. Abraham was concerned because God had promised him an heir. In fact, God had promised him many children. But even though Abraham and his wife were growing old, they still had no children. So the Lord took Abraham outside and said, Look toward, the heaven, and, look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Did you catch that? There was nothing else for Abraham to do. He simply believed that was all he did. Later in the chapter, God wanted to show Abraham that he would do what he had promised. So he asked Abraham to cut a heifer, goat, and ram in half and set the halves opposite each other. While this seems weird to us today, Abraham would have understood exactly what was happening. In those Old Testament days when two powerful tribal, tribal leaders came to an agreement and wanted to bind themselves to keep that agreement, the two would walk between the halved carcasses together saying something like, if I fail to keep my word to you, may this be what happens to me. It was a powerful symbol showing that the two of them would keep their promises and the penalty for not upholding this contract was death. Abraham would have known this context. He and God were making an unbreakable contract with each other. Then God did something unexpected. God put Abraham into a deep trance-like sleep. Then after speaking in detail about his promise, in the form of a smoking oven and flaming torch, God passed between the halved carcasses all by himself. The fact that God walked between the pieces signified that the total commitment for fulfilling the agreement was God's alone, a unique covenant relationship. No matter what Abraham did or failed to do, God would uphold his promises. The significance of this story for us is that God's promise to Abraham is one that extends to us today. He offers his people this sort of covenant relationship. That's why it's called the covenant of grace, because it doesn't depend on what we do. No matter how many times we fail, God still loves us and stays in relationship with us. 
None of us can strike a bargain with God or make a contract with him or cut a covenant with the Lord as though we are his equal. We are dependent on his grace to fulfill the terms of the covenant. We get to be in right relationship with God and it has nothing to do with us. It is all because he fulfills the terms of the covenant all by himself. Also significant, the dead animals point forward in time when another sacrifice would be made, one that assures the promises of God to his people are one that assures the promises of God to his people are con unconditional and last for all time. The sacrifice we refer to is the Lord Jesus crucified on the cross for us. Now the implication of this covenant of grace said, says so much about our relationship to God. We can't do anything to receive his promises, but simply to accept his grace and believe. We rest, we trust, we sleep in his grace. Because of his grace, we have come to know unconditional love. We are accepted just as we are, far less than perfect. God will never give up on us and leave us behind. We also know unconditional love and mercy. This love does not treat us as our sins deserve, but because of Christ, we are forgiven. After all, the punishment we deserved was laid upon him. Our debts are canceled. It is God making a promise or commitment to his people that is unconditional. This covenant is usually expressed in the Bible in these form formulaic words, I will be your God and you will be my people. All along, God knew that his people would fail and sin and break any vows they might make to him, but he is the God who is faithful to his word. It's so critical that we understand the covenant concept in the Bible, lest we falsely believe that our relationship with God is one of a contract dependent upon us. Truth be told, we have nothing with which to bargain. It is God and God alone who pledges himself to us in the covenant of grace. And I'll, I'll read slightly into the covenant home. So what does this mean for our family life? How do we make our homes places of this kind of grace? How can we embrace something different? Could we have a distinctly covenant kind of family? A covenant grace kind of family? That is exactly what the Bible teaches a family should look like. The amazing application of all of this is that all our family relationships now become something more. And I'm skipping over to page 33, <clears throat> the second full paragraph. When we view all of, the fam all of family life not as a conditional contract, but as a covenant relationship, something wonderful is unleashed in the relationship of a husband and wife and in the relationship of a father and mother and their children. Just as God deals by grace with us, we are now empowered to deal by grace with our loved ones. As parents, this means we begin to develop an unconditional love that is okay with accepting less than perfection in ourselves and our children. It also stops taking everything as an affront to ourselves personally and never gives up on, and never gives up or quits on a child. And then on page 34, now you try. So the parents have just read this full chapter, this five-page chapter. They've done some uh, talking together, discussing, answering some questions, and then they try something at home. Gather up and write a family covenant together. Explain to your children at an age-appropriate level the concept of covenant that you're committing to love one another unconditionally, just like God has done for you. The family covenant will sound a lot like wedding vows, promises you are all making to each other. Let each person contribute to the discussion with mom and dad making the final decision about what to include. When finished, type up your covenant, print it out, have everyone sign it, and frame it in a prominent place in your home. This book, I actually, it took me a long time to figure out what, I was like, oh, I gotta read this excerpt and this excerpt and this excerpt because it's just chock full. 
beautifully unpacks important truths from the scripture so that parents can see a faithful God who's given them a vital role in passing on faith to their children. And so that parents can be encouraged as they walk in obedience, seeking to share with their children who he is and what he has done. I mentioned earlier that we spent nine years doing family retreats. A lot of what we taught in those retreats is in this book. Another idea is to use this as a resource with parents at a parenting retreat or a family camp. Our church has an annual family camp called FAMP. Getting FAMP. <laughs> Getting away together, learning more about his biblical truths together, deepening our understanding about raising children in the Lord together is of great value. If you'd like to talk more about what that can look like, we'll be around this week and we'd love to chat. Growing up a pastor's kid, I've spent years participating in, helping in, teaching Sunday school classes and VBSs. For several years, the Lord had me rewriting Sunday school and children's church material simply because the curriculum I was given to use was a lot of fun and pretty fluffy. When we take the story of Noah and focus on the science or colors of a rainbow, we miss sharing the covenant promises our Lord has made to us. We miss sharing how wide and long and high and deep is his love. At the same time, I was sitting on the floor of Christian bookstores spending way too much time poring over resources uh, for family devotions. My husband and I would buy some resources and then come to find far too often that what we purchased, took home, and tried out with our own kids was either fun and fluff or biblically sound and boring. We struggled to find resources that were both biblically sound and fun. Most of the time we used what we had and rewrote it or just created our own devotions. So when the Lord brought our families together to start a family ministry, we, he laid it on our hearts to start writing family devotions, what we call family time materials. This is another way that we come alongside you, churches, to come alongside the families in your churches. We currently, my dad already started mentioning this, we currently have two series on our website, Words of Grace, Our Relationship with God, and Jesus, Who Are You? You've been given a little half sheet in your folders. I apologize right now, they're slightly outdated. <laughs> we tried for a long time to make our website a free subscription and didn't realize until too late that those are the only cards we have left. So they still say free on them. Um, and it's close. It's close. But following the Lord's lead, we provide everything a young family, really our, our materials are geared for pre-K through sixth grade, will need in order to have a family worship time that is biblically sound, the depth of God's word, and fun. We have six kids. We were constantly trying to find ways to do family devotions in a way that kept everyone engaged. In fact, as we were writing our curriculum, we tried it out on our own family. Our daughters were already above that sixth grade age. We didn't want to disclude our olders from this valuable time together, so we encouraged them and by encouraged, I mean we forced them to help lead our family time. Putting an older child in charge of leading an activity or the Bible story or leading a discussion after is a great way to help prepare that child for doing family worship with their own children in the future if that's what God has in store for them. Since we have six kids and sometimes we were involved in soccer or musicals or whatever, we knew we had to create family time materials that were flexible, adaptable to any family's schedule. We've been very intentional to make it biblically sound, fun, and flexible. 
We also wanted every family to be able to use it. So access to the series we have up on our website, which Dad was mentioning. So both series, it's 42 stories from scripture. We have thousands of pages of activities, scripture memory, discussion questions, comprehension questions, prayers, coloring pages, activity sheets like crossword puzzles, um, pictograms, word searches. And access to that is $20. We want it to be accessible, so it's $20 forever for for life we're currently working on a third series word words of grace our relationship with others once it's completed and up on the website um, if you already have a twenty dollar membership then you get current you get access to that as well we gift memberships we desire for churches to scholarship families who need it we, we want meaty, fun family worship to be happening in Christian homes all over the world. And why? Because our Lord wants people everywhere, everywhere to know who He is and what He has done and to know His great love for them. And He wants people everywhere to love Him and serve Him in response. He works mightily in the family. And while there are other resources out there for families, God put it on our hearts to create something meaty, fun, flexible, and accessible as a resource available for churches and families to use. As a ministry, we had the honor of traveling to an EPC church in Houston several years ago, where we put on a, a Saturday seminar for parents and a follow-up Sunday school class the next morning. As a church, after we left, they came up with an excellent way to use our family time materials and really could do this for any devotional material. This church encouraged family worship and held each other accountable by having a parenting Sunday school class. The first Sunday, the parents gathered to talk about the importance of passing on the faith at home. Over the course of the following weeks, the parents would use our material to lead their families in family worship. And then each Sunday in class, the parents would do sort of a debrief of their week, of their family worship time, encouraging one another in the importance of job one. There are ways for churches to disciple parents to disciple their children. This is one of those ways. Whatever you choose to do, know that your impact for the kingdom is big when you engage parents in raising their children in the Lord and when you come alongside by offering resources, hope, and encouragement. May we be churches who take that job seriously, recognizing that we are not to remove the responsibility from the parents in our churches, but rather we are to support, we are to build up, we are to unify, we are to encourage the body of believers entrusted to us, which means we don't take from the parents, we come alongside the parents. Working together for the hearts of the next generation will not only transform our families, but it will transform our churches. Coming alongside, and I, I just want to say, so my parents who did not, who were not raised in, um, well, they were not raised in Christian homes. My, my dad's parents would have said they were, no. Um, in fact, they were raised in extreme dysfunction. When they got married, both of them, you know, we had, they just said we had no idea what we were doing. Uh, by the grace of God, they became cycle breakers. Um, but really, they just sought the Lord and they just taught us. Like, I remember, I remember doing family devotions, reading the Bible by the breakfast table because we had plans in the evening or whatever. And I have a different story, and that is, I don't remember a time when I didn't know Jesus. Um, I was nine when my grandmother said, 
have you prayed the sinner's prayer? And I was like, oh, what's the sinner's prayer? And I remember telling her, why do I have to pray that if I know Jesus? And um, I just, like, I want to encourage you too. How cool would it be if we're discipling families and more and more the stories become, I don't remember a time when I didn't know Jesus. It just was a part of the fabric of my home. And I fell in love with him. But I don't remember when it was. It was a, this, this process. And um, he captures hearts. He captures hearts that way as well. And he also captures hearts other, way, but other ways. But I think it would be awesome if those were the greater stories. If we had more of those stories and less of the, I had a moment when I was, you know, 19. I think this would, it would be awesome if we had more stories like this. Even though it's boring. Um, Coming alongside the families of your church can mean an addition to your current programs, like starting an annual family camp. But it can also mean a simple tweaking of a program you already have in place. So that's my encouragement today and where we're going to shift to in a few minutes. Take what you already have and find ways to incorporate the family. For instance, if you have midweek activities, add family dinners before. Host a family fun day once a month or six times a year or four times a year. Fit it for your church. This could be an after church thing like a potluck where everyone brings a dish and family kickball or other games. It could also be a family fun evening replacing one night of midweek programming to include families coming together for fun and or worship. Take a youth group night four times a year encroach upon those youth, those youth leaders four times a year or whatever and make it a night for families to serve together. Maybe you serve meals to the homeless or you gather at the church to put together care packages for those in your community who might be in need of something. Be creative. Serving together as families in the name of Jesus is a beautiful thing. Provide follow-up resources for families. Uh, you probably already do this. I know a lot of churches already do this with papers they send home after Sunday school. Sometimes it's hard to measure the value of these, but the goal here is just to provide more resources for families. Questions to ask, scriptures to memorize, activities to do, all at home, all as follow-up to something our children are learning at church. Pray over those things as you send them home. Then send them and trust that the Lord will use every resource that you are providing for families for his purpose.